Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Appreciate you all being here today. Our uh, message is on Noah's Ark. And... uh, Actually, we're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ in You, and last week we looked at Jesus' ministry and your ministry, and we looked at how in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives the agenda of what he's going to do in his earthly ministry, and it's the agenda of what God wants you and me to do in our ministry. Uh, What Jesus did in his body when he was here on earth, that's what God wants the body of Christ, the church, to do uh, those same things now. As, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to do what Jesus did. So what is that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus lists the things that he's going to do, and they're also the things that God wants you to do, to preach the good news to the poor, comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for those in prison, recover sight to the blind, and release the oppressed. And last week, I encouraged you to identify someone, a person in your life uh, that God has placed in your life, and then ask God to give you the opportunity to do these things Uh, in their lives, to minister to them the way that Jesus would and the way that Jesus wants you to. This week, I want you to notice in that passage in Luke 4 that Jesus starts out by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because it is that recognition by Jesus Christ that his ministry is going to be done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit that I I want you to grasp today. And so today's sermon is uh, Jesus, uh, the Spirit, and you. And so uh, Satan's strategy is to get us to talk about the Spirit, perhaps even argue about the Spirit, rather than live in the power of the Spirit. Satan wants to cause confusion and conflict in this area so he can limit our power. And uh, I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm not taking the bait on that. Uh, today. I'm not going to get into the conflict and confusion about the Holy Spirit. I want us to focus on the clear teaching of Jesus Christ on this. Truth is, with all of this, we've got to start with Jesus Christ. Uh, Until we give our lives to Christ, you know, when we give our lives to Christ, that's when His Spirit comes into our lives. And that's when we really experience the eternal, abundant life that Jesus Christ offers us. And uh, it's one thing to be a creation of God. All people are God's creation. But it's another thing to be a child of God. And John 1.12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God. And John goes on to explain, this isn't a natural birth. It's not a birth that comes from a father and a mother. This is a spiritual birth that comes from the Spirit of God. 
And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that he does in our life is he regenerates us. Uh, we are, uh, when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive. Apart from that work, apart from Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. And we're separated, we're disconnected from God. And that's why, in, in, in our circles, we say that's why we have to be born again. We have to be reborn, we, because we're spiritually dead and we need the Spirit to make us spiritually alive. And it's that spiritual connection with God and with Christ that the Holy Spirit provides for us, and that's what allows us to live life in a whole new way. It gives us the power to do the ministry that Jesus calls us to do. Paul says in, in Galatians that we are to walk in the Spirit. He says, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so, uh, as Ryland's put this series together in, in his genius, he has us talking about the Holy Spirit today, which is Pentecost Sunday. In the liturgical calendar of, of the church, this is Pentecost Sunday. That's the day that the Holy Spirit was given uh, to the church. And so I want to give you some historical background on this, on the meaning of, of Pentecost. Acts 2.1 says, when the day of Pentecost came. That's when, that's when the Spirit came for the first time. Now, Pentecost, it's not a religion or even a denomination. You know, some may ask, are you Pentecostal? But biblically, Pentecost, it's not a religion or a system of belief. Biblically, it's a day. The day of Pentecost. And the Jews celebrated, and they still celebrate Pentecost. Uh, they, they celebrate it uh, for two reasons. One, it's part of a festival of weeks, they call it, that's associated with the spring wheat harvest in, in Israel. But specifically, the day of Pentecost in that, the, that long festival... The day of Pentecost marks the day that the Ten Commandments were given. That's the Jewish Pentecost. Now, Pentecost means 50 days. And the day of Pentecost occurs 50 days after the Passover. And it's always the day after the Saturday Sabbath, so it always falls on a Sunday. And for Christians, it was on the day of Pentecost after Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven, that's the day that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and came upon the apostles and the disciples of Jesus. So Pentecost celebrates two things. It celebrates the giving of the Ten Commandments to the Jews on Mount Sinai, and it also celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church of Jesus Christ. So on the Old Testament Pentecost, God gave the Ten Commandments. On the New Testament Pentecost, God gave the Holy Spirit. Now I want us to look at this uh, in the Bible here. Exodus 19 describes what happens, uh, happened when the uh, Ten Commandments were given. Uh, Exodus 19.16 says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. It actually says that the voice of God thundered uh, to him. 
And then the Ten Commandments are given, and then in uh, Exodus 20, 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. Wouldn't you like to have seen that? How Spielbergian. I mean, it just, it's just an amazing scene. Acts chapter 2 gives us the New Testament Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. So I want to contrast the Old Testament Pentecost and the New Testament Pentecost. And so let's look in, in the Old Testament Pentecost. A cloud descended with loud noise and fire, and God wrote his law on tablets of stone. On tablets of stone. In the New Testament Pentecost, there, uh, the Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire, and God wrote his law on our hearts and see that's the distinction between one is external the law is written on stone one is internal the law is written on our hearts and at the New Testament Pentecost at that point in history God had clearly demonstrated and Christ had clearly taught that what people needed was not another law written in stone what people needed was a change of heart and the same is true today. We don't need another law. You know, people will have a grievance about something and they'll say, there ought to be a law. Well, the truth is there probably already is a law. The problem isn't that we don't have enough laws. The problem is we don't follow the ones that we've got. It's not a problem of, of needing another law. We need a change of heart. The old preacher Vance Havner said, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it, but by combustion within it, our lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Now, what does it mean to be ignited by God's Spirit? What does the day of Pentecost mean? It means that without God changing our hearts, nothing is going to change. Left to ourselves, apart from the Spirit of God, nothing's going to happen. We're just stuck with ourselves. We need the Spirit's power to come alive spiritually when we trust in Christ and to live spiritually as we seek to serve Christ. Now, Pentecost happened 10 days after Jesus' ascension up to heaven. And Jesus ascended up on the 40th day after the resurrection, and Pentecost is on the 50th day after the resurrection. But in this series, we're focusing on the life of Christ in you. And so I want to back up from Pentecost and go back into the Gospels and look at what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Now, the Gospel of John contains the longest conversation that Jesus ever had regarding the Holy Spirit. And this conversation happened with his disciples. Literally, Jesus is one day away from the cross, and he's 40 days away from leaving and going up to heaven. But before he goes to the cross and before he leaves to heaven, he talks to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. 
He's gathered his disciples together in the upper room. He's washed the feet of the disciples as a humble act of service. That blew their, uh, their minds. Uh, and then he celebrates the Passover meal with them. And during the Passover meal, he institutes, he initiates the Lord's Supper that we still uh, uh, practice today. And John records in his gospel the conversation that took place in that upper room during and after that Last Supper. In John chapters 13 through 17, it's known as the Upper Room Discourse. And I would encourage you this week uh, to read through John 13 and 17. It is an amazing passage of Scripture as we see this conversation, Jesus is alone. It's not a big crowd. There's not 5,000 people there. It's just the, the disciples. And Jesus is having a conversation with them, and he is telling them some amazing things. In fact, he's telling them some things they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that he's going to die on the cross. They don't want to hear that he's going to leave and go to heaven. Uh, he tells one of them, that you're going to betray me. And he tells another one, you're going to deny me three times. They didn't want to hear that. But he also tells them some things that they are desperate to hear. He says, if, if I leave, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and get you and take you there to be with me. And then he says, I'm not leaving you alone to struggle on your own. I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. He tells the disciples, I'm going to leave, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. And five times in that conversation, Jesus says, this is what the Holy Spirit will do for you. This is what the Holy Spirit will do for you. So pay attention to this and work with him. Because this is what he'll do. So what are they? Five things. Number one, the Holy Spirit will comfort me. Comfort me. John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now the Greek word there for comforter is the word paraclete. And it literally means in the Greek, someone who comes alongside Someone who walks alongside of you. And it's translated as comforter, uh, advocate, friend, helper, counselor, intercessor, strengthener, standby. You know, it, it, it pictures this. God is on his throne in heaven. Jesus Christ is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit is right here with you. He abides with you to comfort, help, counsel, strengthen you. Jesus promises that when he leaves and goes to heaven, he's not leaving us like orphans. He's, he's leaving a comforter, a companion with us. He says in, in 1427, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If, if you will say, Holy Spirit, comfort me, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. That's why he's here. And it's a comfort that you're not going to get from the world. Too often, even as believers, we look to the wrong place for comfort. We look to food, comfort food, okay? You know, we look to drugs, we look to alcohol, we look to things. Oh, that'll make me comfortable. Or we look to other people. But when we do that, we're looking in the wrong place. 
We are receiving the wrong kind of comfort. Jesus tells us to look to the Holy Spirit. Turn to Him, and He'll give us comfort. Not like the world gives. It'll, it'll be a comfort that comes from God Himself. It's a heavenly comfort, not an earthly comfort. A few years ago, I, I had open-heart surgery. I, I had a quadruple bypass. And thankfully, I did not have a heart attack. I just had some heart symptoms. And so on a Monday morning, I had my wife take me over to the ER at St. Joseph Hospital and uh, checked in, and they did some tests and, and said, yeah, you need a bypass, and we're going to do it Wednesday afternoon. So this is Monday morning, and I meet with the surgeon that day, and he goes through the whole procedure that they're going to do to me. And I, I wrote that out. I was going to read it to you. And I had one of the staff guys read it. He said, don't read that. That's making me woozy. And, uh, and so just trust me, it's an extremely invasive and extensive procedure. And it, it's major, major surgery that does not always go the way that we would like it to go. And so after meeting with him on Monday, I'm now sitting in the hospital for two days waiting for this to happen. And that's a long time to think about what might happen. And honestly, it, it's the most traumatic thing that I've ever experienced in my life. At Tuesday night before the surgery, I'm sitting in my hospital bed, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and my nurse keeps coming into the room. And she would come into the room and stand there and look at me, and I'd look at her, and then she would turn around and walk out of the room. And she did that like four times. And finally, on the fourth time, she looks at me and she goes, what do you do? And I said, what? And she goes, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And she goes, that explains it. You're a Christian. And I said, explains what? And she said, well, that we have instructions to watch patients before they have a major surgery. And if, if that, the night before, if they're nervous or worried or anxious, then we can give them some meds to calm them down because we want them to get a good, good night's rest before the surgery. And she said, you don't need anything. And I said, I already got something. <laughs> and honestly, what I had in, in that moment was the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I had the peace of Christ. Now, if you're in a situation where you have to have surgery and you need some meds to calm you down, I'm not judging you, okay? I'm just telling you that for me in that moment, I had a peace that passed understanding. I had a peace that I know came from someplace outside of myself. And that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to me. He will reveal truth to me to me. John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And all of us need to be open to the teaching and the reminding that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, the best way to be taught and reminded by the Spirit is through the book that the Holy Spirit wrote, through the Bible. And you may say, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought men wrote the Bible. I mean, the, the, the books in here, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's first and second Peter. There's James. There's Jude. You know, Moses in the Old Testament. David wrote the Psalms. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Solomon, all those prophets with the funny names. I mean, didn't those guys write the Bible? They held the pen. 
They held the pen, but the Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote every word. That's why the Bible is unlike any other book, because it's penned by men, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is empowered, it is enlivened by the Spirit. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, the truth about God and the truth in God's Word, they're not fully understood just with the human mind. Spiritual things are not understood by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And so when you're reading God's Word, you need the Holy Spirit of God to open your heart and open your mind to the truth. And that's how the Spirit teaches you the truth. And the more you become familiar with this book, the more He can remind you of the truth. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, He's going to lead you into all truth. And He'll remind you of the truth that Jesus taught. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been struggling with something. If I will just stop and pray and ask God for help, a Bible verse or a Bible truth will pop into my mind. And that's the Holy Spirit. You've experienced that probably. That's the Holy Spirit teaching me, reminding me of God's truth. And I just encourage you, when that happens, do not take that for granted. When those verses when, when those bits of biblical truth pop into your mind, don't think, ooh, how smart I am. No, recognize that's the Holy Spirit teaching and reminding me he's doing what Jesus said he would do. Third thing, the Holy Spirit will speak through me. He will speak through me. John 15, 26, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And the next verse says, and you must also testify about me. See, the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus Christ. The, the followers of Christ testify about him as well. And when you testify, you just tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth about what you saw, what you did, what you experienced, about what happened. You testify about what Christ has done. Look at Luke 12, 11. It says, And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And that verse, if you study the persecuted church, that verse, that truth is, is a powerful, powerful truth in the persecuted church. You'll hear story after story after story of people who are arrested, they're drug into court, and, and they're demanded an answer for their faith in Christ and what they're doing and what's doing. And it's amazing the things that come out of their mouth. They're just amazed at how the Spirit just suddenly gives them the words to say at that time. Not before, at that time, they have the words to say. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say to others as you testify about Christ. You don't have to come up with the words. The Holy Spirit will give them to you. 
Now, I've, I've had the opportunity throughout my life to share the gospel with people. And especially as a young believer, I was just amazed that I, I'd be talking with them and they would ask me questions about God or they'd share a concern or, or a hurt in their life. And I was just amazed at the words that were coming out of my mouth. I didn't, I didn't know that verse. I didn't know that Bible truth. And yet, all of a sudden, you know, here it was. I was able to say things that, wow, why? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And folks, the Holy Spirit will speak through you if you will give him the opportunity. He'll show up in that moment and he will speak the truth through you. Number four, the Holy Spirit will convict me. He'll convict me. John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the Spirit's jobs is to point out anything in me that's not the way it's supposed to be. To point out areas of sin, distrust, disobedience, wrong thinking. I love how David puts it in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. My anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now the idea of the Holy Spirit convicting us can be a scary one and it's one that's often misunderstood. So I want you to understand that when the Holy Spirit convicts you, he never condemns you. The Bible makes it clear for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There is conviction because when we sin, the Spirit wants to point that out, not to condemn us, but to change us, to give us forgiveness. You know, you do not have to carry around the burden of your sin. When the Holy Spirit points out something wrong in you, He does it so you can confess it and get rid of it. Confession is the antidote to conviction. Because God doesn't want you to wallow in your sin. He doesn't want you rationalizing it and justifying it, excusing it, hiding it, denying it. God wants you to confess it. He wants you to drag it out into the light of day and deal with it. Confess it. Cover it with the blood of Christ and be done with it. Uh, years ago, I, I committed an offense against one of my seminary professors. And it was, by all human standards, a minor offense. And my efforts to excuse it and justify it and deny its importance, humanly speaking, that should have worked because it was no big deal. And I should have been in the flesh. I should have been able just to blow it off and keep moving. It's no big deal. Just forget it. You know, that, that's what we want to do with our sin. We always say forgive and forget. Well, we focus on the forget. Can't we just all forget that happened? Can't we just forget it? And God's like, no, I want to forgive it. Then you can forget it. But if you try and forget it before it's forgiven, it will haunt you. It will haunt you. And spirit, spiritually speaking, this was a big deal. And the Holy Spirit would not let me forget it. The Spirit did not want me to forget that sin. He wanted me to confess it so it could be forgiven. And 
And the Holy Spirit got a hold of that sin in my life like a heavenly pit bull. And he would not let go of that. He wouldn't let me hide it or deny it or move past it. And, and I'll tell you, to my shame, I struggled and wrestled with this for weeks. And it just went on. I started losing sleep. I became depressed. I just became overwhelmed. I mean, <laughs> the Spirit was shaking me around like a rag doll. And finally, I got so miserable, I said, I, I just got to go make this right with him. I got to take care of this. And I made an appointment, and I went to the professor's office, and actually, I paced up and down the hall outside of his office, still trying to talk myself into, this is no big deal, I can tell him, never mind, and just go on about my way. But the Holy Spirit would not let me off the hook. And finally, I went in, sat down across his desk from him, and I told him what I'd done, and I asked for his forgiveness. I remember he had on his reading glasses. He was reading when I came in. I sat down, and I told him what I'd done, and he looked over his glasses and goes, Oh, I forgive you. <laughs> and he didn't see it, but I did. Because in that moment when he said, I forgive you, the dark clouds of guilt and shame parted. And the bright light of heaven shone down through the clouds and the angels sang a glory hallelujah and the burden of my sin rolled away. I mean, it was a spiritual moment for me. And I said thank you and got up and I went back out in that hall where I had paced up and down and I did a little dance because my sin was forgiven and I could forget it. And I just want to tell you, if you have a, even a tidbit of an unconfessed sin that you are carrying around, I, I plead with you. God pleads with you. The Holy Spirit pleads with you. Confess it. Take care of it. Today, right here, right now. Maybe you need to make a phone call on the way home. Maybe you need to make an appointment to have a conversation this week. But just admit it, confess it, and experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness. That's the goal of the conviction by the Holy Spirit. Number five, the Holy Spirit will guide me. He'll guide me. John 16, 13, that when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Walk on the path. Don't, don't slog around in the ditches. Don't wander off into the wilderness. Don't hike out into the desert. Just walk on the path. And when you come to a fork in the road, you come to a decision point, ask the Spirit which way you should go. And then listen and pay attention and do what he tells you to do. Uh, I have lived a very blessed life. I have a wonderful wife who's been married to me for 47 years this month. I have three wonderful kids who are the delight of my life. I have three wonderful in-laws that are married to my kids, in-laws that I think the world of. I have 11 grandchildren that are the joy of my heart. And I have pastored a delightful church with dear, dear people for 24 years. 
I've had the opportunity literally to travel and teach around the world. It has been a marvelous life. And I just want you to know that that has not happened to me because I'm so smart or so pretty. It has not happened to me because I'm lucky. Did I say that with enough disdain? I'll have people say, boy, you're lucky. I'm thinking, lucky, luck has nothing to do with it. You know, I, if I have enjoyed any success in my life, it's because I have truly tried to listen to God and do what he says. I sincerely, God, what do you want me to do? And then I try to do it. Now, I'll admit, there have been times, especially about 20 years as a dedicated Christian, there were times when I was stiff-headed, stiff-necked and bullheaded, and I was trying to go my own way. I, I, was, I was determined to, to make my steps. I was determined uh, to, you know, do what I wanted to do, even as a believer. And it was good things that I was trying to do. But finally, I got to the point where I just had to yield, and I just had to surrender to God. And I had to say, God, I give up what it is I'm trying to do. You tell me where to go and what to do, and I'll do it. And he told me, and I did it, and it changed everything. And Rockbrook Church is a result of that. Okay? And so I, I want to encourage you to just let the Spirit guide you. Listen to what he has to say and then do it. In fact, I'd encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to do these five things in your life. Just open up your heart and life to him. Invite him to do the work in your life that Jesus sent him to do. To comfort you, to teach you, speak through you, convict, guide, and, he'll do, and then you can do the work that Jesus calls you to do. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon you, and you can do the things that Jesus calls you to do. Now today, some of you, you may be here, and you may feel far away from God. You, you, I've been there. You may feel like I'm here, and God's a million miles away from you. But Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be near to us. He comes alongside of us. If you trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit actually dwells within you. God isn't far from you. He's near. He's right there. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, and he will comfort, teach, speak through you, convict, and guide you. Let's pray together. I invite you just to pray these words in the quietness of your heart and mind. God will hear you. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross and paying the penalty for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I surrender my life to you completely. Jesus, be my Lord. I believe you died, you were buried, you rose again. And Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. And give me the ability to live a brand new life. God, with all my heart, I want to serve you the best way I know how. And so I give you my life and I ask you to help me do the things that you have called me to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. 
visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.